Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. There's two things that make me happiest in the world after shows. One is when people come up to me and say, I was a soldier in Iraq and I saw you when you came and performed and now I'm here or anywhere I did in the Middle East. That makes me insanely happy. The only thing that can beat that is when someone comes up to me and says, I know how that is because I beat cancer too. That's when I, that's when you will never see me smile any bigger. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Today is a first for the Industry Standard podcast. What's scaring me is my guest is holding a microphone and he's listened to about 75 of these and he knows that I will go on and ramble, but he's poised to interrupt me in my cold open like a ninja and completely fuck me up. And I'm talking about my guest today, pound for pound, the funniest person in the world. And I'm talking about Brad Williams, three feet, eight inches tall. Four foot four, Barry. Okay, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> tr- tr- trust me, when you have so few of these inches, every one of them counts. <laughs> I say that to every single woman I'm with. <laughs> Firstly, thank you so much, everybody, for all the support. It's amazing. This is so incredible to be able to do this at lunchtime and... And have some fun and and have a little hobby that actually inspires and helps people. It's so great. Speaking of helping people, thank you for going to the BarryCats.com website and clicking on that Amazon banner. It's amazing. Amazon takes care of my Jewish boy college fund, and it doesn't cost you anything. It's incredible. So if you go there, you want to buy some Amazon stuff, go. That's wonderful. As you know, I always look at my guests, and I have a story that just comes to me, and I don't know why it comes to me or where it comes to me. I don't know what I'm going to say. And as I look at Brad Williams, firstly, 
very handsome Brad Williams today. He's got his beard nicely quaffed. He's got a new haircut. He's got new pants. It looks like he's got fairly new shoes. He's got a shirt that looks like it could be a tablecloth at some event. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, he looks good today. So I'd like to do what I always do, which is look at my guest, and I would like to think of a story that is meaningful in some way that I just think of as I look at him with his new pants, his new haircut, his freshly coiffed beard, his groomed eyebrows, and his iPhone that he's looking at like it's a picture of Pamela Anderson naked from 1986. <laughs> so... As I look at Brad Williams, I want to tell you about a story that I think has relevance. I was talking to his personal appearance agent, T.J. Mark Walter, who's a really amazing man and a really tremendous personal appearance agent, somebody who's worked in the business for over 30 years and has worked with some of the greatest comedians and just works so hard, kills himself, has so much pride. And I don't know of any comedian who works with him that doesn't feel wonderful about the work he does and how hard he works for them. I don't know of any comedian that I know that works with him that thinks that my God, you know, I can't believe I'm paying this guy 10% of my money. I just feel like this guy's doing nothing. It's just the opposite. It's almost like I can't believe the value that I get for what this man does for me. And I've known TJ my whole career, and we had a conversation about Brad Williams in terms of management, and at the time he didn't have anybody working with him. And I asked TJ if I could meet with Brad, which in the scheme of the politicalness of the way any business works, I'm sure, there are certain channels you can go through. You can always go directly to the artist, but sometimes if you go directly to the artist, you upset the people on their team and they feel you're going behind their back. So a lot of times you want to figure out ways to do things in the right channels. And TJ I'd known for a long time. And I asked him for a meeting, and he told me that Brad would take a meeting with me. And so Brad came up to the office, and as a manager, there's a lot of things that happen in a room when you're meeting with somebody or as an agent that they're not videotaped. You can't find them on YouTube. Like if you want to learn how to play pool, you can go and find 750 different videos that tell you how to do a trick shot, how to put the backspin on the ball. If you want to learn magic, you can go and find thousands of videos online in terms of that and how to do a magic trick. But if you want to sit down with a relevant great artist as a manager, as an agent, there are no videos, there's no management college. There's no agent college. You sit down and you don't know what other people do, how they take meetings, what they accomplish in those meetings and what they drive forward and what their agenda is. For me, I feel like a chameleon because I feel like I just 
want to sit down and absorb who the person is and figure out how they tick and what it is about them that makes them brilliant and what it is about them that makes them talented. But in the end, I think for me, it's a basic thing that I always go back to, which is, I think the natural order of any human being in any job or in their personal lives tell me the list of things that will make you happy if you're in a personal relationship guys go out on dates and they sit across from a woman and you just wish they would just pull out a pad of paper and just in a pen and just say, uh, it's really great meeting you. Let me, I just want to go through a few things right here. Um, I am going to want to get married by the time I'm 33. I'm 31 now in three months. Um, I'm going to want two children. Um, I'm going to want somebody who is going to support me and pay my bills. I just want to make sure I'm getting that clear for you here. I don't like to do certain things in the bedroom so if you don't mind just I don't want anybody to touch me there but you can touch me here family is very important I'm going to want to live within a three mile radius of my mother and father and uh, let's see here hmm yes and I'm going to want you never to raise your voice to me or treat me disrespectfully listen I'll just pass this paper over to you will you agree to this before we go on a second date and you can sign this for me and the problem is in life I find the reason why anybody in the world is ever upset at anything for the most part when it comes to somebody else is because their expectations have not been exceeded or met. And so I find that that's all there normally is about unhappiness in terms of people personally or professionally. You expect certain things about what you want in your life or your career, and you want to make sure that they happen. So when I go into a meeting, the biggest thing I want to hear is I want to hear what the artist wants. What are their goals? What will make them happy? And I think to me, that's what it's all about. My job, in my humble opinion, is to check off the boxes. If I don't check off the boxes, then I haven't done what I said I was going to do. Now, granted, I could create the opportunities for those boxes and the artist could keep going in and failing. But at least at the end of the day, I'll know that I did what they wanted me to do and they just couldn't convert. So when I met with Brad and asked him what his, I guess you could say, bucket list was, it was a really interesting conversation. It wasn't, I'm sure he would agree, it wasn't groundbreaking. But he said a few things that meant something to me. Because I saw him as a person who was a complete original, authentic, 
really, really special talent, unique skills, and represented a original voice and an original physical presence that had never been seen headlining in comedy clubs or theaters that I know of in the history of comedy. And I knew he had acting ability, and I knew he had no fear because I had seen him perform at certain events where you could never have fear doing what he was doing. And I knew he was capable of doing all sorts of things, from talk shows to hosting, to writing books, to radio. And when you can work with an artist who has all of those skill sets and they are the nicest human being on the planet, then you have a combination of things that are really, really special. Add to that somebody who's not self-destructive and you have a situation where you have somebody who has unlimited potential. But when I met with Brad, it was kind of surprising to me because it's not that he was doing poorly. He wasn't doing poorly. He was doing the comedy club circuit. People knew him, and he'd done a few April Foolishness shows, which, for those of you who don't know, it's Kevin and Bean still do them, but they did these great shows at the 6,000-seat venue at Universal Studios called the Universal Amphitheater, which is no longer there. And Brad would consistently get standing ovations and people who were on the bill, which we'll talk about later, would have to reevaluate their lives and, and think about what they were doing. And Jay Moore had told me a lot about how he reevaluated his performance skills and how he was presenting himself after he saw Brad because he just went to the Universal Amphitheater thinking that he was going to do what he always did, go on, kill, get a standing ovation. But unfortunately for Jay, Brad went on before him, and he could feel that it wasn't the same kind of set, and he didn't understand why. And I told him before I had met with Brad that it was my opinion that Brad worked hard for that gig and was gearing for that gig ever since he got the call that he was doing it. Planning, scheming, figuring out how he was going to go on that gig and have the best set of the night against people like Jay Moore and Eddie Izzard, Jim Jeffries, Bill Burr. So when I met with Brad, he said, listen, I have some goals. These are my goals. I want to do my own hour special. I haven't done an hour special yet, and I, I would love to do that. I would love to be cast in a scripted show for a major network. And I would love to be in a situation where I could get my own radio show in a major national market or nationally. And so I sat down and listened to Brad, and I did something that I oftentimes, probably the wrong thing to do for anybody. I looked him in the eyes and I told him that if given the opportunity, I will make sure that those goals are accomplished. And because I felt that 
myself, oftentimes it's not meant as a conceited thing to say, but there's certain things that I do feel strongly about about myself as a manager, almost invincible when I get the opportunity to do it. But then when you get a chance to do it with somebody else who you feel is invincible, then you feel like you can just walk on water. And so I told them that, listen, if given the opportunity, I will make sure and I will guarantee you that these things will happen. I don't know if they're going to happen through osmosis. I don't know if they're going to happen through the gods and the, the clouds parting. Or I don't know if they're going to happen by a combination of your talent or my talent. But fuck it, they're going to happen. And I will spit blood for you and make sure they happen. At the end of the meeting, he let me know that it was something that he wanted to do, which was so humbling and so wonderful. And when he left that office, I was ecstatic. I was so excited because I knew that Brad Williams was going to be one of the biggest stars in comedy and film and television and radio and podcasting and everything. I just had this feeling. And I'm when I have this feeling come over me, it just, it's never wavering. And it's always something that drives me. And from when he closed that door, I was excited to make things happen for Brad Williams. Within a short period of time, probably less than a year, Brad Williams got certain calls in succession. One of the calls was John Moore, who I worked with on Moore Sports with Jay Moore and did many NASCAR shows and award shows and special telecasts with him. He was doing his own scripted show for NBC through Brad's talent and I guess my relationships. He delivered he killed it, and he got the gig, and they shot the pilot. Unfortunately, it didn't get picked up, but he did an NBC pilot. And then there was a person that uh, Brad knew and I knew that was on Playboy Radio that got a big gig up in San Francisco for radio. And I got the call from the program director. We worked together with Brad's relationships with Kevin Klein, the other Kevin Klein. And we negotiated a deal for Brad to move to San Francisco, be able to go back and forth and do some comedy gigs here and there to start in the number four market in the country. He got that gig and he was amazing. But his nephew has just been born and he missed his family and he missed stand-up doing it as frequently as he could, and he realized he could always do radio. And through his podcast, he could deliver to an audience that was probably just as big as that audience in San Francisco. He could do it in his spare time and do everything. Also got the call that he was going to be getting his own one-hour special for Showtime, filming in Santa Barbara, which, by the way, everybody right now is the highest rated hour special on Showtime in 2015.
there's nothing like accomplishing those goals with an artist who is an amazing, amazing man who treats everybody with respect. I think together, I think the message for me as I look at him and I think about these stories is the fact that as an artist or in any business that you're in, it's important to set goals for yourself. And it's fantastic to accomplish those goals on your own. But if you can find somebody who's passionate about you and your life and who believes in you and will also ride along with you in the passenger seat or the driver's side and help you accomplish those goals, then that's the ultimate an amazing amazing feeling when things go well and it gives you the excitement and the passion and the confidence to know that other great things can happen and as I sit here with Brad Williams I can share with you that he has three shows that are about to go into some sort of development he has another Showtime special that he's planning right now that is going to be shot in January. And I pretty much can guarantee you that that also will be the highest rated program on Showtime. And you always know when you're doing a great job when the president of the acquisitions department at Showtime calls you and says, listen, Barry, would you do me a favor? Would you print up a poster that we can frame to put in the hallway? That's the ultimate goal. So again, set your goals. If you can find somebody that believes in you, that can also go with you forward with those goals to make them happen, tremendous. And I can almost guarantee you that you can rise over any adversity. And if you don't think Brad Williams has had adversity, think again. So set the goals, find the people to ride with you and rally around you, and you will take your career to any height you want to take it to. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now I'm on the air. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. So one of the things that I think people go through in their businesses and their careers, as well as their personal lives, you have people who everybody has those connections in their life that all the people in their life, friends, family, and there's people connected to those people as well within the situation. Every profession has it. And oftentimes things happen that divide families, divide friends, divide business associates with something that happens with somebody. And so here you are, the guy who gave you your first break mm -hmm. after eight or seven shows in the business. Yeah. Gave you your first television shots. Yeah. You're working in the clubs, hanging out with people with him. And then 
something goes viral between yep. him and another person who you, I'm not saying you were playing golf with, <laughs> but you were friendly with Joe Rogan. Yeah. And now you're in a situation where people look over to you as people draw sides and take sides. Mm -hmm. Certain comedians like Joe go after Carlos hard. People rally around Joe. Mm -hmm. Then there's people who support Carlos. But you're friendly with both camps yeah. when it goes down. Yeah. How do you as an artist, a friend, a comedian, somebody in the profession... How did you decide to handle things when all that happened and still stay relevant with the other comics? Well, first, it, well, first it was heartbreaking. It was it, it was heartbreaking to have now, what this is when Carlos was accused of stealing material right. and being a person who stole material. Right. And, Go and, on, I'm sorry. And, yeah, and Rogan posted the video of. Uh, clips of Mencia doing jokes and um, other people doing jokes that uh, that that were similar. Um, it was heartbreaking because, first off, I was on the road with this man Carlos, and um, I I know the kind of guy he really is in terms of he's the guy that paid for all my travel to go on the road, took me on the road when I was literally nothing in this business, uh, would teach me things i've seen him craft jokes i've seen him do 20 minutes on something that happened in the news that day he does 20 minutes on it that night which is unheard of uh he would pay for all my meals on the road if we ever went shopping he'd say hey wh whatever you're getting throw it on my pile you're good i got gotcha. you took such great care of me and is such a great friend introduced me to his family um i was there at the hospital three hours after his son was born and I was one of the first 10 people to see his son alive. So I'm insanely close with this man and still am, uh, st still text him a lot. Whenever I accomplish anything big in this business, whenever something great happens, I always text him and say, thank you. Whenever this, whenever, when, whenever the special happens, whenever the TV thing happens, whenever I get a part in a movie or something, I always text him and say thank you, always. So when all that was going on, it was truly heartbreaking to have someone say s vicious things and career-ruining things to a friend, to a good human being. Um... And sometimes I'd go to the clubs and uh, the comics would come after me because they knew they couldn't go after Mencia. They couldn't talk to him. So they would come to me and start ye yelling at me. And, I, and I, was always, I always took the same perspective of, guys, whatever your beef is, it's not with me. I'm not the one you're mad at. You're mad at him for whatever reason. Remember that. You know, just try not to lump me in. Um but it, it it was just it, it was so hard to walk that line to try to be friends with everyone to try to maintain a relationship and a friendship with the man who with my comedy father Carlos Mencia and then all the comedians that hate him it was uh it was really tough to do and uh still still is it still is whenever people talk about him and start mentioning how they think he's a horrible person I, I clench my fists because I, I, I want to tell people what a great guy he is. 
and how immensely talented he is. And whether you believe he stole jokes or not, anything I say isn't going to sway your opinion. If you believe that he did it, I can tell you that he didn't. It's not going to change your mind. If you believe he didn't do it, I could give you examples of uh, of things, and you won't and you won't be swayed. So that I'm not really going to talk about. What I am going to say is just the man is a great person. He's a wonderful human being, and uh, if you have beef with him, I'm sorry. If you uh, love him, great. Continue to love him. If, uh, it, it, but just don't don't lump me in with whatever you're mad at him about and just uh just understand that he really is uh one of the nicest people in comedy and one of the most generous people in comedy and that's pretty much all i i i i can say about it but you do know that a lot of times comedians they get upset because Let's say you go on a show and somebody uh, approaches you about it and says, you know, what's your opinion? Mm -hmm. And then you say, listen, it's not up to me to have an opinion. You have your own opinion. Don't love me. And, and then after Carlos hears the interview, he knows that you haven't said anything bad. You've said wonderful things about him. Mm -hmm. But in his heart, he knows... You didn't go to the mat and say, absolutely not. There is no fucking way. This mm -hmm. guy is the salt of this guy would never do that. Fuck you. Yeah. How dare you say that? So he knows that you, you're walking the line. Right. Just like Matthew McConaughey doesn't like to be impersonated, <laughs> yet Donald Trump does. Right, right, right. Certain comedians don't want another artist to play the middle right and they want them to defend them and other people say hey play the middle just take take yourself out of it save yourself yeah the first time you talked to him after you heard an interview with you saying something similar to what you said mm -hmm. did you feel like your relationship changed no not once and and he told me uh, and he told me about it because he called me after I did a certain interview where I said, I guess, you know, some, something similar. And, uh, we talked about it and he told me, he's like, I, I, I know why you're doing what you, what, what you're doing. I get it. I completely understand. And I, I'm calling you to, to, to tell you that our relationship is not going to change. Did you give him advice as to how you felt he should handle it differently? Um, I didn't think I was in a position to do that. Uh, I thought that he, you know, he's been doing it as long as he's been doing it. And, uh, I was still am a young buck compared. And, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what I could tell him. And, it, and, and if you know him and if you've talked to him, you know, he's an extremely intelligent guy. And, uh, there, there's nothing I could tell him that he doesn't already know or, or hasn't already looked at. Look, I remember seeing his first hour special where he took the nylons and put them over his head. The joke is that uh, he would uh, riot during the L.A. riots. This was his first HBO special. He, he, would, he would do he, he, he would loot, but then he would loot with a nylon on his head 
and then he would pull it back so so he looked Korean. That's right. Yeah, and then uh, so they could never identify him in a lineup or whatever, and it was a great joke, and just the visual of it and him walking around the stage with that nylon pulled back just slayed the audience. It was great. If you ever get a chance to see that hour special, the one thing you'll garner from it, regardless of what you think of him one way or the other, Mm -hmm. is that he performed that special like it was his last time on earth yeah i mean he gave (laughs) everything he had and it it was incredible and it was at a time when unknown people didn't get hbo specials just did an incredible job yeah and it pains me when people do things and sometimes things happen knowingly some things happen unknowingly look Dane Cook was accused of stealing material from Louis C.K. Yeah. 92 seconds Mm -hmm. worth of material. 92. Mm Mm-hmm. And Louis went on a rampage, Mm -hmm. and it was very, very damaging to Dane's career, and just like Joe Rogan was damaging the Carlos's career. Yeah. And I think the thing is that There's always going to be people who want to go out and police a certain situation for their audience or for the masses who support that craft, and there's others that don't. Sure. And who's to say what's right or wrong? Sure. I have people, yeah, I have fans send me messages like, so-and-so does a joke about how midgets don't like being called midgets, and it's like calling a black person the N-word. I'm like, yeah, I I know. They're like, well, they stole it from you. No, no. No, they didn't. Well, did you steal it from them? No. (laughs) There's always going to be jokes like that where there's a common thought. Yeah. There's always going to be, like, I remember when uh, I think it was George Bush was trying to sign a law uh, about building a wall to border the Mexican border in the United States. And three comedians who were Mexican-American, Paul Rodriguez, George Lopez, and Carlos, too, said the Mm -hmm. same joke that night. Who's going to build the wall? So the thing is, is that I don't know, you know, who knows one way or the other, but this is what I do know about Carlos Bencia. The guy probably has about seven hours of material. At least. Maybe ten. Yeah. Similarly to Dane Cook. Mm -hmm. The material that is in question totals probably... It could be between 5 and 25 minutes Mm -hmm. out of 10 hours, Mm -hmm. whether it makes it right or wrong. The fact is, is that the guy has been a prolific writer, a prolific performer, and whether he admits to what he did or he didn't or however it happens one way in between, the bottom line is the guy made it happen. And when he did his first HBO special... Nobody said anything. Yeah. And I happen to think he's an amazing performer, and it saddens me that his career has been damaged because of it, and he hasn't been able to come back the way he wants to come back. Certainly, nobody's feeling sorry for him because he has a beautiful home, (laughs) a beautiful family. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that it'd be a nice thing to see him figure it all out and come back because he's gone through that adversity and 
I hope that he is able to do that because people have things that happen. There's bad things that happen and there's ways to overcome them with the people who have accused you of those things. Right. I I hope I hope he has a resurgence. I really do cuz I know he's insanely talented and it would be it 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 would be great to see him do another an, another special like a like like a I don't want to call it a comeback special because he's been touring all while this is you know for the, you know for years. Uh but just that special where it makes people stand up and go, "Oh, all right. Yeah, you are. You are very good at this job." We're living in an age now where one tweet can ruin your career. You are seconds away from hitting the send button and ending your career at any given moment. See Gilbert Godfrey, <laughs> Affleck. <laughs> right. And, and, and because sometimes companies hire comedians and they, and they think, well, we hired him because he's edgy. And then he's edgy and they go, well, not that edgy. We have to have that line. There's... There's um, there's a wonderful interview that I watch probably once a month. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's of the great Patrice O'Neill uh, talking to Fox News with uh, about Opie and Anthony. I guess Opie and Anthony had just done something. But th- th- this clip, they have the late, great Patrice O'Neill responsible for Elephant in the Room, which in my opinion is one of the top ten specials of all time. It's amazing. And he's there and he's and he's sitting next to one of these ACLU uh, just spokespeople that the Uber politically correct. And they, they, they say like, Well well, Opie and Anthony joked about this. Is this funny? Patrice, do you think this is actually funny? And he goes, Yes. It's hilarious if done right. We're in the business of being funny. That's all we're doing. You cannot comment on this because it's you're not in that business. You're not in the business of being funny. And he and the and uh, the woman from the ACLU, whatever group, just goes into her talking points. The well, people are upset, and P, and P, and Patrice dissects her and tears her down in the most brilliant way. It, at one point. She's like, well, well, like, well, certain sex isn't funny, and and and, and Patrice goes, really? Have you ever heard of the Angry Pirate? <laughs> and then, this is live on Fox News, and she goes, well, no, what's the Angry Pirate? And she goes, well, it, it's when you have sex with a woman, you finish in her eye, and then you kick her in the shin, so she hops around going, ar. <laughs> The, the the cameramen are dying laughing, them, and, then, and then Patrice goes, "No, no, no! You cannot laugh at that. That is not funny. That is horrible." And you you just see the look on this face of this spokeswoman who who brought a knife to a gunfight, and Patrice just mutilates her. And I watch that clip to remind myself all the time that. I'm in the business of being funny. That's all I have to worry about. That is it. If I'm funny, I win. Great. That's something that uh, no casting director can take away. That's something no network can take away. No, no. Like you said earlier, I'm pitching a TV show right now. I think it's a wonderful TV show. I think it would be a great TV show that uh, many people would love, that they would laugh at, but it would also have lessons and it would cause a lot of emotional moments on television, that of which we have never seen, never seen before. But... There's a possibility that it could be turned down and not picked up by any network, not even 
crackle might not touch this thing and i i say that because that's an upstart network which i actually would like to be on um uh, that could happen if they don't buy my show i'm still okay because i can be funny and as long as i can be funny i will always work and i will all because I, I will always have a skill and i will always have something that people will will want people will will enjoy and at the end of the day i can go home going i'm funny i'm fu- i'm fine fantastic all right, six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names or okay. something, and I want you to tell a story that means something to you or just a word or a phrase or anything that comes to mind. All right. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, the, a man who is – I've been on his show uh, four times, and starting I think in 2009 or 10 was my first time on, on his show. And I only met him for the first time four months ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But he knew he knew who I was because we have similar friends. J- Jimmy Kimmel used to be on the Kevin and Bean show. He was the sports guy on their show. So he saw his relationship with them. So through those relationships, he knows who I am. And when I saw him, I met him at a, a dinner, a charity dinner that uh, Bob Saget uh, did. And uh, I walked up to him and I and I and I said that to him. We're like, hey, I've been on your show four times, but this is the first time I've I've actually talked to you. And he laughed about it, and he, we talked for a little bit. And he and he's a great dude. He's he's a he's a wonderful person to, doing some of the most innovative things in late night. And uh, I love watching his show. Dave Attell. Dave Attell. <sighs> I'm trying to think if there's any comic more respected by other comedians than da- than David Tell. And here's how much David Tell cares about comedy. When I did his show uh The Comedy Underground. Um filmed when, at the Comedy Cellar. Yeah, fil- fil- filmed at the Comedy Cellar. He every comic was supposed to do 5 minutes, 5 to 7. And that that was the set that was going to air. So I prepared 5 to 7 minutes on my night Two people went on before me, Ari Shafir and Pete Davidson. Uh, Ari goes on first, does 20 minutes, kills. Now, who knows what five of that 20 is going to be used, but he kills. I'm sitting there going, I have seven. I have seven minutes prepared. Pete Davidson goes on, does 20 minutes, kills. Just, Just kills the room. I'm like, oh, shit. Now... I'm in this position where as a comedian, I'm wor- I'm I'm thinking about the five minute set that's going to air in front of thousands and thousands of people. But I'm also thinking about these this hundred people, this couple hundred people that are in this room right now. They can't see Ari Shafir do 20 and Pete Davidson do 20 and then me come on with a strong six. Fuck that. No. <laughs> So I go on stage and I do 20 minutes (laughs) and I have a good set. And uh, when I get off, I'm talking to Dave. I go, I just blew it because I I just put all my material in the hands of editors at Comedy Central 
to mold into a five minute set. And I, I, I know what they're going to do because they did it to me on live at Gotham where they cut a setup and just aired the punchline because they're like, well, they, they laughed when he said this thing. Yeah, because they heard the thing before. And when you air that joke without the setup, you have no idea why why. People are laughing, and and Dave, and Dave and Dave goes, "Don't worry, I'm editing. The, I'm editing the sets." Dave Attell cares about comedy so much that he himself edited the sets of all the comedians that run Dave Attell Underground, and he made sure that every set looked flawless, and they did. That's how much he cares. Because who? What? What does it affect Dave Attell if he edit? If they edit Pete Davidson's set to just include the punchlines or just one, like, you, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't affect Dave. No no one would see Pete Davidson do a, 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 a poor set on Dave Attell's show and then attribute that to Dave Attell. No one. But he doesn't care. He cares so much about stand-up comedy that he's like, no, I'm going to make sure that when I edit Pete's 20 minutes, which was great, that it's now I'm going to edit it to five minutes. That is great. And uh, he edited he edited my set very well. I was thoroughly pleased with it, and I have nothing but positive things to say about Dave Attell. Bill Burr. Bill Burr is the best doing it today. Uh, some, pe- some people say Louie. Some people say Bill. Some people, you know, who, who whoever. Bill Burr is the absolute best doing it today. And uh, he did a bit. I saw him last night. Uh, at a, a show out in LA here called the Goddamn Comedy Jam, which a comedian does uh, ten minutes of stand up and then tells a brief story and then performs a song with a live band, and it's the most fun show you'll ever go to. They did it in the Montreal Comedy Festival. You saw it. Since Montreal, they were, every festival's booked up the Goddamn Comedy Jam. They're 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 doing Bonnaroo this year. They're doing the Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin, Texas. It's a fantastic fantastic show and bill was there last night and he started doing a bit during his stand-up about um how he hates uh what the media is doing to peter dinklage or trying to sell peter dinklage as a badass and he doesn't like that he doesn't appreciate it because he's not a badass he's a little person he's going on this rant which is a brilliant joke and i'm on the side of the stage and when he gets to the end of the bit, I run up on stage and double birds just flip <laughs> him off. And the crowd goes nuts. And then Bill, just like a professional, took that moment and then started making fun of me and roasting me and talking. And it, it was it was so funny. It was just so funny. The guy is unbelievable. I, I remember when the whole... Um, Donald Sterling controversy happened. I had a whole bit about Donald Sterling. I'm like, this is a great bit. This is a wonderful bit. I went to the improv that night and saw Bill Burr go up and do his Donald Sterling bit, and it was so perfect, so genius. I scrapped mine. I was like, I can't compare. <laughs> no way. So Bill, B- Bill's the best doing it today. Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries takes more chances on stage right now than anybody, and he can tell jokes that jeez like you're just you're laughing at it going I'm laughing at a joke about a man murdering his girlfriend in a bathroom why am I laughing at this but you're laughing because it's brilliant comedy and um and he's also extremely nice to comedians he he put a ton of comics on his show legit on FX uh very generous and uh, 
he has a son now and Jim from being as crazy as he is uh, the, the past with drinking and drugs and all that stuff all of which he's admitted I'm not breaking ground um, when he when he announced to all the comics uh, at, at the improv one night that he was that his girlfriend's pregnant and, and he's gonna be a father every comic was horrified they all said what Jim how could you be a dad how could you with the stuff you talk about stage, how could you be a dad Jim paused for a second and went well Brad, you're about the size of a child, <laughs> and you haven't died around me. <laughs> I, 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 I love Jim Jeffries. I, yeah, I love Jim Jeffries. He's a great dude and uh, an insanely talented comic. Your partner in crime on the About Last Night podcast, Adam Ray. My heterosexual life mate. <laughs> yes. The amazing part about, about Adam Ray is that when we started the podcast, it was essentially, it it, it was my podcast. They came to me and said, Brad, this network came to me and said, we we want want you to do a podcast. And I was like, I can't do it by myself. I'm not going to do like the Bill Burr Monday morning podcast thing. I need to, I need someone to bounce ideas off Why did you feel like you couldn't do it yourself? Uh, I need to react to something. And I'm, uh, my dad always told me that a true sign of intelligence is to know what you don't know. And uh, I know when I'm not the smartest man in the room. I'm, I know when I'm not the funniest man in the room. And just alone by myself with no one to bounce ideas off of or give original ideas, I'm not the funniest man in the room. Um, so I decided, well, I, I love hanging out with this comic, Adam Ray. And, uh, and uh, so I'll have him. And when, like, like I said, when it started, it was my podcast. I, I drove it. I, I put it in the right direction. And then at some point, it became Adam's podcast to where he uh, books a majority of the guests. He edits the episodes. He does intros. He does so much work on it. Sometimes I feel horrible, but sometimes I offer, and he's like, ah, I got this. But then, and then I would get upset, but at the same time, he, what he turns out is a great product, and he does wonderful things for our podcast, and that, and he's so and we 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 we've gotten to the point where we now know, we when we're interviewing people, we can do we know what each other's thinking, we're we're we we know where we're going, we we know how to end, we know, and uh, and very few people work as hard in this business as Adam Ray. He is going to be a big star. It's just a matter of time. And like I said earlier, it's just a matter of him getting his shot. He does YouTube videos. He's the he does he's the voice of Hyundai. He's the now the voice of promos for Conan O'Brien on TBS. He uh he he's he's been in a ton of movies. He does stand up. He he's always he's always he's never satisfied. In anything, he's always writing, always figuring out something new to do, and uh, he's an insanely hard worker. And I can't wait for the rest of the world to discover him. Me neither. Me neither. Mm-hmm. Bob Saget and John Stamos. <laughs> Bob Saget. I grew up watching America's Funniest Home Videos and and, and Full House. So when I got to meet Bob Saget, it was an insane honor. And the first thing he said to me, first words out of Bob Saget's mouth when he met me were, you have to meet John Stamos. The reason why he said that is because John Stamos is afraid of little people. 
<laughs> he has something called uh, achondrophobia. It's a fear of little people. And at first I thought Bob Saget was joking, but then I started asking around. Other people confirmed this to me. But uh, Bob Saget comes up to me, and the first words out of his mouth are, you have to meet John Stamos. And when he tells me that John Stamos is afraid of little people, I go, hell yes, let's go meet John Stamos. So I run up to John Stamos. He's not looking at me. He's having a conversation with Bob Saget, so his back is turned to me. And I, and I, ru- I run up to him, and I grab his leg, and I start humping his leg. Like in just insane, exaggerated, uh, simulated sex, and with his knee, and John Stamos looks down and sees me humping his leg, and just le- le- can only. How would I describe the sound he made? A yelp, <laughs> and that's not that's not an online review. It, 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 it's something along the lines of ah! like, like like that, <laughs> and he just starts he starts like kicking his leg violently to get me off. But then at the same time, he knows that there's a lot of show business people there. This is backstage at April Foolishness. And he's like, I can't look like I'm afraid of this little person in front of all these people. So then he starts like, ha, 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 okay. And uh, yeah, then we have then we have a moment where he's trying, and and the whole time Bob Saget's just laughing insanely, um, as 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 any friend would do. So, and here's and, and, and in case you don't believe me or don't think that he's uncomfortable with little people or that other people don't know about this about john stamos when i met him when when i, when I saw stamos again at bob saget's charity dinner the same one when when I, when I met kimmel stamos walks up to me grabs my hand and goes come with me come with me right now and he starts walking with me and he, and he walks in front of jimmy kimmel holding my hand going you see i'm good now i'm good stop it i'm good now <laughs> And awesome. and and I asked him about it. He's like, "Oh, I'm good with you. I'm fine with you." Like now that we've joked about it and talked about it, he's fine with me. I I I I hope he's good with other little people. But yeah, he's uh, yeah yeah yeah. He's good. He's 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 good with me now. And uh, yeah, they're both. Uh, Bob Saget did the About Last Night podcast. He's he's done an episode. I would love to get John Stamos on. Um, but yeah, uh, Saget was insanely generous with his time. Always responds when I email him, which I'm. I never take that for granted. Always shocked, and uh, just a, just two 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 great guys. Buying clothes, hate buying clothes. <laughs> clothes don't fit me. I hate them. Um, I hate buying clothes because I have to get them all tailored. So uh, yeah, it's never comfortable. Shirts are normally fine. My body's average size. So the, uh, 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 what about the pants? Pants. <laughs> What do you do? Where do you buy your pants? How do you do it? I buy the pants that relatively fit me around the waist, and then I take them to my European tailor, who uh, I swear I have put his kids through college. <laughs> uh, I bring so many clothes to him and pants and every jackets and suits and things like that. That Now, the thing is, is because it takes me so long to get an outfit like together and the process is so long that I, I don't throw away anything. I I found a shirt in my closet that I had it, that I bought in fifth grade and it still fits me. So that that that, that gives you an idea. I don't throw away anything. But uh, yeah, I hate the process of buying clothes. And finally, mm-hmm. your dad. Ah, huh. uh, my dad. My dad is. 
Um, the most special person in my life. He molded me. He created me. Everything that I am is because of him. And he's taking care of my family to an insane level. He worked very hard. He made a lot of great decisions. He instilled life lessons in me that I've I have framed in my house. He had all these maxims and sayings that he would tell me. And I framed them and I put them in my house. So no matter what, I will always have those to look at. I will always have his advice. My dad also um, would come home constantly throughout my childhood with little bandages on his face, on his arm, because he would have uh, little bits of skin cancer removed. This happened because, I mentioned earlier, he's an avid golfer. He would go out from age 5, 4, whatever, play 18 holes, never wore sunscreen. Sometimes he'd play 36 holes, never wore sunscreen. He would do this all day, every day. That caught up to him eventually. And eventually, um, a few years ago, uh, he came back, not with a bandage, but a message that he had uh, been diagnosed with a melanoma, and uh, that it's he's got he's got cancer, and it's not. Before when he would say skin cancer, he would get burned off, and there, that's the it. That's that's the end of it. This was not it. This was radiation, this was chemotherapy, this was having part of his face removed. Um, the entire time, while being very realistic and understanding the consequences, uh, he never allowed the family to stop. He, allowed, he forced us to keep going in terms of our normal lives keep going in terms of uh, didn't want to stop didn't want to hinder anyone didn't want to stop anyone else from doing what they're doing because of what he was going through I mean we still did you can't not but I remember he went through an insane round of chemotherapy and he had a and he had a doctor's appointment and I was I, I, I had a gig at the comedy works in Denver and I was there and I was backstage and I knew that today was the doctor's appointment where he finds out if the chemotherapy worked or if we got to go through another round of it and another round of it 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 it, it, it wouldn't have been good <laughs> Uh, when when it doesn't work and you have to go through another round, it's kind of saying we're doing this just for show. It's we're doing this just so we don't so we so we do something to satisfy the people. My phone rings and I'm backstage. It's my mom. I know it's the call. And. Uh, <sighs> I answer the phone. I I let it ring for a few times because I didn't want to answer it out of fear of the bad news. And I answer it. And uh, my mom doesn't say hello. I don't say hello. I just slide the bar over to answer. And the first words out of her mouth were, he's in remission.
And I dropped the phone. I fell to my knees. And I started crying. Much like I'm doing right now. And all the other comics are looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But they knew something was up because I literally just burst into tears. And I just kept repeating, he's in remission. He's in remission. And then as I'm having this moment, that is one of the happiest of my life but yet one of the most emotionally draining because I feel like when I dropped the phone, I dropped every bit of weight, of guilt, of fear, of sadness, of remorse. I dropped everything with that phone on the ground and it left me. I hear the words, give it up for your headliner, Brad Williams. And I have to walk out on stage. And I I suck it up. I'm like, oh, God. Okay. Woo. All right. And I walk out on stage. And uh, I go into my show. I start doing it. At the time, I had this joke in my act where I I say, dwarves are happiness. We should, uh, we're not using little people correctly. We should be giving midgets to cancer patients. And I said that line, I've said that line hundreds of, maybe even thousands of times before. It's in my special, so I've been running it. This time I say the line, we should be giving the midgets to cancer patients. I don't make it to the punchline. I burst into tears on stage, and I, once again I fall to my knees. And now the audience knows something's going on. And I have to tell them, what just happened and I do and the audience you've you know because there's because you've been in this business a long time and you've seen a lot of things there's ovations and then there's ovations there's there's I'm giving you a standing ovation because it's the polite thing to do because everyone else is standing because it's the end of a comedy special that we're supposed to do it here and then there's o- and then there's ovations there's ovations like the one Jimmy Valvano re- uh, received at the ESPY awards giving the speech when he knew he he would be dead shortly after that there's ovations like the one that Stuart Scott received when he gave, when he also ironically spoke at the SB Awards, getting the Arthur Ashe Lifetime Achievement Award, there's those ovations. I got one of those ovations that night because everyone was, they felt happy. They've never met my dad. They don't know him, but they, but they saw what he meant to me, and. They saw the kind of feelings I have for him. And they didn't stop clapping. I did the show. And here's the thing about cancer. Is 
everyone's gone through it. I hate that that's a true statement. Everyone has someone in their lives that have been through something along along the lines of cancer. It's either taken or it, it's been fought. And the thing about it, because it's such a common thread, is that when my show was done and people were coming up to me afterward, because I meet people after every one of my shows, no one was bitter. No one had survival remorse. I don't even know if that's the right term. But no one was saying, why did your dad beat it and not and not my mom, not my sister, not my brother, not my cousin, not not me. No one said that. Everyone was just thrilled that someone beat it. That someone beat this horrific thing that is a stain on the human condition. And I was so thankful uh, for that. And uh, thankful that to this day when I tell stories about my dad on stage and explain how he beat cancer, people continuously come up to me and they tell me their stories. There's two things that make me happiest in the world after shows. One is when people come up to me and say, I was a soldier in Iraq and I saw you when you came and performed and now I'm here or anywhere I did in the Middle East. That makes me insanely happy. The only thing that can beat that is when someone comes up to me and says, I know how that is because I beat cancer too. That's when, I, that's when you will never see me smile any bigger. Awesome. Brad. Unbelievable. Congratulations, my friend, on like a uh, watershed moment. That was just an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's just... Wow. Thank you for pulling it out of me. <laughs> I don't tell that to people. I don't even want to go for the final three questions now after that. <laughs> Nothing's going to compare to that. You don't have anyway, to. But I'm going to. Your proudest moment in show business. Proudest moment of show business. Uh, getting a standing ovation at the uh, April Foolishness, the first one. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself and progress your career to the next level. Getting turned down for the half hour special for the third time. Being told I wasn't alternative enough. I said, all right. And I knew that when that happened, that I just have to try harder, be better, and make certain people regret that decision and I feel like I did with the Showtime special oh yeah so that's yeah that would that would answer that question yes you did final question what advice do you have for the young artist comedian in school knowing that they're mm -hmm. don't want to do what they're doing whatever job they're in and they have a dollar and a dream but they want to get to the kind of place and have the kind of <laughs> career that you have in film, <laughs> television, and all media? Um, here's the thing, though, is that 
if it's what you're supposed to do, there's no advice that I could give you that'll make you succeed any faster. Because if it's what you're supposed to do and what you want to do and what you were designed to do, what you were put on this earth by either science or God, whatever your belief, whatever you were put on this earth to do, if, if it is truly your calling, you'll find a way. You'll make it happen. You'll, you will not let anything stop you. When someone tells you something negative, rather than internalize it and uh, blame yourself, you'll look at them as if to say, you fool. How could you not see that this is great? Whether it be comedy, television, a movie, a piece of artwork, uh, or a business proposal, whatever that, or an idea for your own business. If it is what you are passionate about, there is absolutely nothing that will stop you from doing it, ever. I feel like you should just drop the mic like a Def Jam comic <laughs> after that. Brad Williams, you are the smartest and funniest man in this room, my friend. <laughs> I am so grateful that you came by. This podcast was epic. Thank you so much. I hope it exceeded your expectations because it blew me away. I didn't expect to cry. So, yes, uh, it, 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 it was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm 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 glad that we did it when when we did it because uh, this was uh, the, the this was an experience I will not soon forget, my friend. I will never forget it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Barry. Hey, everybody! Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called "I Killed JFK," which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It's centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I've partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. 
along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson. They'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard, and because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this, and I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.